0: We're going to talk over the next three Sundays or so about uh, what is important that, that we know about worshiping God this season of the year. And today I'm going to use as a kind of a transitional piece, if you'll go ahead and turn to Isaiah 52, to talk about the predictions of the coming king. And then next week, we'll if you want to read ahead, uh, jump over to Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, and we're going to talk about worshiping uh, the Christ and uh, kind of understanding that over the next two or three weeks, um, I want to be sure that we understand rightly who to worship this time of year, and maybe, maybe a little bit how to worship Him as well. You know, I read uh, in one of the papers over the weekend um, that um, now, now that it's legal. Uh, they are doing all kinds of Christmas packaging for marijuana in the state of Colorado. Uh, gift cards. Uh, uh, what? Beautifully done. Are they? It, it, did you put one in my stocking? <laughs> hey, roll, roll. does not need that. She's, she's out there already so she didn't even... but I love you romantic you know I was too teased about that okay uh, Parkerson is is firing up the the Chevrolet right now he's thinking about going out there I can tell but you know I just I don't get it I don't get how we have how far we've come in celebrating what the Lord has done you know and we're, we're Nancy, I saw that thumb. We're on a down escalator, not an up escalator, aren't we? I mean, it's really something. Well, one of the things I want us to to discuss today, to begin to think about, is um, we've been talking about the nation of Israel being over in Babylon, and now they're coming home. But to celebrate now would be a bit premature Okay, for them. It would be a bit premature. They're still in bondage. It was April 9th, 1865, it was on a Palm Sunday, when General Robert E. Lee stepped into the parlor of the Wilmer McLean House at Appomattox, Appomattox Courthouse to surrender his Army of Northern Virginia to General Ulysses S. Grant. Following all the formalities of surrender, Union soldiers in the field shouted in exultation, But Grant raised his hand and said, stop it. A time of rejoicing would be allowed, but not at this particular moment. The surrender of one Confederate army didn't mean the end of the war. There was a lot yet to be done. I I wonder if we're dealing a little bit of that, with a little bit of that, in the context of what's going on with ancient Israel, still in exile, promised that they were going to be released. It was still kind of too early to celebrate. Now, rejoicing in the fullest sense for them couldn't occur until the Messiah would come in fulfillment of all that Isaiah that we're going to read about today in Isaiah 52 and the other prophets have fulfilled. I, I, I read this comment from in, in, in the commentary that I use to prep for these lessons that I really like. We live, they lived in it, we also live in a now but not yet time. Now, but not yet. And we need to celebrate and yet recognize there's something better even yet to come. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah, beginning in chapter 40, is going to begin to give this message of hope uh, that, that is going to uh, uh, stir those people in, in exile. Actually, from before it happened. Um, Jerusalem and Zion was predicted to be the focal point of the good news that, he, that is coming. Not only Judah, but all the whole Gentile world was going to have an occasion to rejoice. And so he begins to spin these servant songs from chapter 40 on through chapter 53. The, what they're looking for, the God's plan of redemption, was to be found in God's special redemption servant that would rescue God's world. Now, what I want us to be sure we catch is that we see what is coming yet for us. I'm going to use this kind of thought that Isaiah spun for them of a kind of a second exodus. The original exodus was about when? About 1500 B.C., somewhere in there time of Moses. Remember, they left Egypt under bondage. Now they're in a different kind of bondage. They're coming back to Jerusalem. It's kind of a second exodus. We're going to kind of uh, capitalize on that if we can a little bit or, or, or park around it. All right. Now, Bob, if you'd start us, read the first two verses of Isaiah 52. That's where we'll begin. Okay, the very first word of this chapter, first two words really, are awake. Um, after you've had plenty of tryptophan this week, maybe this is a good thought. Awake, you know, wake up. Now the question is, who is it that's needed that needs to be awakened? Somebody jump back a chapter and read 51.9. Somebody's being called to awaken here that doesn't need to be awakened. Somebody read it, 51.9. Okay, now, the idea here is the nation, or, or, or Isaiah, is calling the Lord to awaken. He doesn't really need a wake-up call, okay? Doesn't really need it. Have you, have you missed a meeting lately, or missed an, an, an early appointment because you slept through your uh, alarm? That ever happened? I don't set alarms anymore. I don't, you know, I wake up every hour in the hour anyway for some reason, and uh, so it's just like, okay, when it's time to get up, you get up, but... But lots of people still use alarms, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we've got them all around. I, I have members of my family who set an alarm for the alarm for the alarm for the alarm, okay? And, uh, you know, they typically wake me up too, you know, which I don't really need that. But, but God doesn't need to be awakened. Who is it that needs to be awakened here in chapter 52? The people. The people. Um, you, you catching that? And I can use this for me. Uh, Zion, that's the city of Jerusalem, that's the inhabitants, that's the people that it's talking about here. Now, the Lord had called way back uh, in that first Exodus, the Lord had called his people to be a kingdom. He had said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests, but it really didn't happen that way. Let's let's compare a couple of passages, can we, from the Old and New Testament? Would somebody go to Exodus 19 and read verse 5 and 6? John, you seem to be going there. Can I get you to take it? Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Louise, I see your hand. Can I get you to go to 1 Peter 2, which is almost the end of your New Testament, and read verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It's interesting. Peter's going to quote what John is reading, but he's going to give us a different kind of a spin or meaning to it. All right? Now, remember, the thought here is, from the first exodus, the people of God were to be Kings and priests. And it didn't happen quite that way. John, would you mind to read, uh, I think we're at Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. I'm sorry, I probably didn't tell you where to go, did I? 5 and 6. 19, 5 and 6. You're going to be mine, he says, and you're going to be a kingdom of priests and kings. But it didn't really happen. Somewhere along the way, and it didn't take very long, they got distracted by other things. Isn't that interesting? That doesn't happen anymore, does it? That we get distracted from being really what God wants us to be. Isaiah is going to say to the nation again, a second time, it's time to wake up. A second exodus is going to be needed. Now, it's interesting that Peter uses this same passage from Exodus 19, and he puts a different idea to it, uh, kind of gives us a a more rich meaning to it, in talking to you and me after this second exodus. Uh Louise, would you read first Peter 2, verse 9 and 10? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have. We are also being called to be priests and kings. But what's going to be required for those in the second exodus, as well as this final exodus that you and I are talking about and involved in, is it's going to take not becoming distracted. In fact, there is a word that's going to be needed here, and we'll try to come to terms with it a little bit as we go through the lesson today. But holiness is going to be needed. If I'm going to be his priest, his child, his king, a king like him, then I'm going to need to be like he is. Holy, righteous. Kind of different. I'm going to say that if I'm going to make it the way that he's calling me to live today, then I'm going to have to I'm going to have to discontinue becoming distracted the things around me, all right. Now, in verse 2, he's going to talk about them moving out of captivity. He literally says, shake the dust off your feet. And the idea here is that they have moved as a nation from captivity to royalty. We've talked about it already, haven't we? From captivity to royalty. It's interesting uh, as um, uh, Verse two kind of ensues here. Um, there's this beautiful thought, and it's a play on words. Okay, in our language, we sometimes have play a play on words, right? I'm trying to think of what English teachers use, Sally, to as a play on words to teach us homonyms and synonyms and those kind of things. But the only one I can could, could think of in in my off the top of my head this morning actually comes from Spanish. It's um, Spanish is the language where the sopa isn't soap and the ropa isn't rope and the butter is mantequilla. (laughs) If you ever had high school Spanish, you probably learned that little adage. It's a play on words. None of those words kind of mean what they originally meant. Uh, uh, In the the verse before us in verse 2, it's kind of a play on words in Hebrew. The word, um, I I don't want to misquote this, so I'm going to make sure I, I get it right. The word Shevi or Shevi uh, is the first word used in, in Hebrew. It means to sit enthroned, so royalty, right? And the second word, Sheviyah, is captive. So when he says this, he uses both words as kind of a play on words. No longer are you Sheviyah, you are Shevi. No longer are you captive, but you're a king. What a wonderful promise here. I have moved from captivity all the way to royalty. Turn with me, if you will, just back a little bit to Psalm 113. You won't need to go back more than like an eighth of an inch. Depending on how thick your Bible is, I guess. Here's what the psalmist said. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. So it's the idea that he is getting ready to free them from this bondage, captivity, and no longer will they be bound, but they'll be reigning as kings. You know what? When we read this note from Amy's family, for a person to be enslaved until up in their 90s, And then to be released. What a beautiful story. I don't want you to capitalize on the idea of slavery here. You need to capitalize on the thought of being enthroned. Reigning with him today. I don't have to wait for that for some future moment. I can live the way he wants me to live today. Now maybe there's someone in your life that's still captive. Uh, one of your daily prayers might become for them. Then, Lord, move them from being shevuyah to Chevy. from being uh, in captive to be enthroned. Okay. Now we're going to skip ahead a little bit, and I want you to go. If Bob, I'm going to call on you again, if you don't mind. I'm going to go to. Let's go to verse seven and read down through ten. Also in Isaiah 52, okay? There's a beautiful story here I want us to catch. Okay. We're going to start with verse 7 from chapter 52. Uh, 10. 10. Get it? Yeah. The Lord bare the of all the of see the salvation of God. Now, we don't want to miss that verse 10, so thank you for reading that. Now, it begins with feet. Verse 7 begins with feet. Beautiful feet. Okay? I want everybody to take off your shoes and socks. No, I don't want you to. Please, please don't. Uh, feet don't have a tendency to be beautiful, do they? Um, uh, you know, there's no accounting for taste in this world, but, but um, uh, what, what I recognize is uh, there are some movies that, that my kids like that I don't like, and, the, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to be hip and I'm trying to be cool and, and I'm trying to be informed and, and I've read the books, but the Hobbit movies don't do anything for me, okay, just sorry, Now uh, it's just kind of the way it is. I love the Tolkien books, but the movies haven't done anything. I, I really like the, uh, the, uh, um, the Narnia movies. I, the, they, you know, inspire me, and encourage me. I kind of like that. And I, I cry when the lion, you know. It's just, just great stuff. But maybe it's the fact that I can't get over Hobbit feet. I don't know. They're really not very attractive. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Okay. Check out one of the Hobbit movies and watch and take a look at their feet. They're hideous. Now, here's the deal. The Bible says here that he who brings good news has beautiful feet. Now, I want you, I want you to kind of understand this because the truth is, in their day, the one, the runner who brought good news their feet were certainly dirty they would have probably been swollen they would have probably been cut and yet the one who hears good news says man you got pretty feet because you're bringing me good news now let's i want us to go um we're going to use two images here and put it in your first blank there after verse seven Okay, what we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes is runners and watchmen. Runners and watchmen. The message, this good news message, is first heralded by runners and watchmen. Okay, and we're going to, we're going to talk about what their role was by looking at another story in Scripture. So I want you to go back with me quite a ways to 2 Samuel 18. Let me set the context for you. In 2 Samuel 18, David's son, handsome son, Solomon, has stolen the kingdom out from under King David. And David has been in exile in, um, away from Jerusalem for a while. A battle ensues, a civil war in Israel could, uh, ensues, and um, uh, Solomon's forces are, are routed and destroyed. And now David is poised to come back to the city, but he's not sure if the coast is clear. Okay, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel 18 if you're there. And we're going to read verse 24 down through 27. I want you to catch the action here. David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes and looked. And behold, a man running by himself. Okay, so... Here's our two characters that we need to catch what's going on in Isaiah 52. There's a watchman on the wall of the city and he's watching, looking as far as he can see. And he sees a runner running, okay? All right, now let's see if this is good news. Where did I I finish? I walked away from the Bible, didn't I? Okay, the watchman called and told the king and the king said, is he by himself? There's good news. If he is by himself, there's good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. Okay, got the picture? He's looking. The runner is running. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, This one is also bringing good news. And the watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of Ahimaaz, Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, This is a good man, and he comes with good news. Now, I read that little story for you because I want you to catch the action that's taking place symbolically here in Isaiah 52. There's a watchman on the wall, and he's waiting for the runner. And the runner comes to him, and he whispers in his ear, good news. By the way, before the watchman turns and does his work, he says, man, your feet are happening. Okay, that's an old word I used to use. Your feet are cool. And he looks down and his feet are beat up. But because he brought him good news, his feet are beautiful. Now what does the watchman do? He turns to the watchman next to him, and that one turns to the one next to him, and that one turns to the one next to him and says, good news. And before you know it, all of them have told the city, and the city is shouting here. But the question is, what are they shouting about? Can I tell you? The king is on his way. Now, for them, there would really not be any more kings. Oh, there would be uh, Zerubbabel. You know, we studied about him a few months ago. He was kind of a, uh, somewhat of a king. But there there wouldn't be a king like they've had in David. Not even a king like they had in Solomon. Nor one like they had in uh, Jehoshaphat or Yehu or any of those guys. But there's still a king coming. They won't see him in their lifetime. And yet they're continuing to rejoice. Isaiah wants to be sure that they know. Isaiah wants to be sure that you and I know that there's a king coming. Over in Isaiah 40, he says, you know what? You need to straighten the road out. Lower the high places. Take the ruts out of the road so that the king will have Easy passage in. He wasn't talking strictly about civil engineering. You know what he was talking about? He actually was talking to Isaiah 40 about a a young man who dressed really funny and ate funny things. But he prepared the way of the Lord. That's Isaiah's message here. The king is coming. Now, so in by verse nine, the king the people of the city sing a song of redemption. And and the by the way, I didn't put the right the colon in the right place. In Luke 238, you hear a little woman who's lived around the temple courts all of her life. She became a widow as a very young woman, and then lived for a long, long time uh, as, as kind of a ward of the church, a ward of the temple, and they took care of her. And she was righteous, and she knew the king was coming. And in Luke 2.38, she said, I have seen the redemption of the Lord. She's bringing good news too. Now, verse 10, we've got to stop and take a little bit of a look at. What does it mean uh, when they're saying to God in verse 10, um, or they're reporting of the, the, the Lord has bared His holy arm. Okay, what I want you to catch here: the imagery is the Lord God is rolling up His sleeves. What happens when the when you roll up your sleeve? Okay, two things are going to two things happen. You caught them both, I think. About seven o'clock this morning, I was making muffins for the girls. And I rolled up the sleeves of my PJs just so I wouldn't get junk in them, you know. That's a different story. But I was going to work. God is going to work here. But but the important imagery that you and I have got to catch is that he's rolling up his sleeves to show us his arms. This is God's gun show here. You know that image? All right. God's powerful, mighty arm is going on to display here. Now, the question that I've got is: God is about to show his power, but to whom? Can you catch it in verse 10? Ellie, you said it. What'd you say? All the nations. All the nations. We've got to go back to Genesis 12.3 to catch this little piece of prophecy. Um, at, this, at at this, Genesis In Genesis 12, uh, Abraham has no children. Would somebody go there and read 12.3 for us in just a minute while I talk about it for a sec? Rena, did you get it? Thank you. Genesis 12.3. Uh, God is promising Abraham lots of things because Abraham is exercising his faith and following God to a place he doesn't even know where he's going. And God makes him three promises as a result, as part of this covenant that he makes to Abraham. All right? I want to zero in for a minute. You know, we're used to the first two of them, but we've got to make sure we catch the third. Ren, would you read Genesis 12, verse 3? You remember he promised Abraham land and children, neither of which he owned right then. But, Ruina, what's he promising here in three? Going to bless those, that bless, them. Gonna bless those who bless them. And then what's that second phrase? Uses the word all, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. All people will be blessed through Abraham's seed. All people, really, it's not restricted at all. In fact, it's not saying all people, but these are your close neighbors, or, you know, uh, maybe the folks uh, way over here, but not the ones near you. No, it doesn't say that. All people will be blessed through your seed. What I'm going to contend with you here is that... um, The original promise to Abraham when Israel was established, when the Hebrew people were established as the children of Abraham, was salvation and blessing for everybody in the world. And it just didn't happen that way. Because they got distracted. So, Isaiah's coming back and he's saying in the second exodus, by the way, the first exodus, it didn't happen either. When he created them as a people, unique people, and gave them the land of Canaan, it really didn't happen then either, did it? Because in fact, they began to be idolatrous and get uh, distracted by all kinds of things and that that's why they ended up in Babylon to start with. But he's saying in this second exodus, when I send you a new king, then and maybe finally then, the good news. Remember the guy with the pretty feet? Remember the watchman on the wall? The message is not just for the people inside the fortress. (laughs) It's for A-L-L. It's for a man who only heard a Buddhist message as a kid. And lived in that message for 95 years. And then was released to serve the king of kings. Tell this You can tell the story over and over. There is not a people group today, and you and I need to hear this, guys. There's not a people group at, alive on the planet today for whom this message is not good news. If they'll just hear it and accept it. If you and I will just tell it. All right, now, let's go two more verses here. Oh, by the way, I didn't fill in your blank. I didn't fill in heart of any blanks. So let's do that. The people in the city sing a song of redemption. I think I caught that one. Inside of everyone, God is about to show his power. If you're younger than me, you can put the word guns. And I'm not talking about these guns. I'm talking about these guns, okay? He's about to show his strength, his power. All right, let's look at verse 11 and 12 and finish. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch nothing unclean. Go out of the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not go out in haste, nor will you go as fugitives. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Okay, here we go. God calls them doubly. You catch this? He says, depart. And in case they didn't hear it the first time, he says, depart again. All right? Sally grinned at me because she probably has to do that with grade school students, don't you? Say it one more time, okay? I've got to tell you twice to get you to catch it. Depart, depart. It's a really important message. He wants us to hear it. It's a double call. He's calling for them as they leave Babylon to be his pure servants. Put the word pure in the blank. This is so important that Paul quotes it in Second Corinthians six seventeen. Their hands have to be clean. Why? Because they're going to carry the vessels, the holy vessels of the temple, back to Jerusalem. That's kind of the initial thought. You, you catch that in verse in verse eleven here. They're going to be they're going to be carrying the things back in order um, to take care of of, of the uh, the new temple. And in order to do this, they had to not only keep their hands clean, but I want you to catch this, they had to leave some things behind as well. There was a change of life coming, and they had to leave some things behind. He says, take care of those things. Keep your hands clean. Now, in verse 12, he says, there's no haste that's necessary. Why? What's he, first of all, what's he referring to? I put a reference here, Exodus 12, 11. We won't look there. But the, in the first Exodus, they had to get out of there in a hurry. Why? They're being chased, for one thing. You're right. Um, they were fugitives. Uh, did you catch here? It says, you're not going to be fugitives this time even though in some ways it probably felt like that. But there's no haste needed to get to this new kingdom. You're not going to have to worry about hurrying. Uh, you remember in Exodus 12:11? it's saying, uh, when they're eating the Passover meal, you know, gird your, gird your robes up so you can run, uh, you can walk, take your time. We want you to be safe on the road. And how am I going to make sure that you're going to be safe The Lord your God is going to go before you and behind you. Haste is unnecessary. Now, as we kind of finish this section and move into Hebrews 1 next week, um, I, I want us to catch something here. And I put some references to the the fifth chapter of Romans for you to check out maybe as you're in the 13th chapter of Romans as maybe as you're uh, prepping for, for church today. In my hopeless situation, you know, we've talked about that thing that's right here. In my hopeless situation, where do I find some lasting hope for this moment and, and for uh, forever, for something that will last? I, I believe What Paul is going to tell us here in this passage, if you get a chance to read it, is that the great battle over your soul has already been fought and it's already been won. Where did that take place? On the cross. Now here's what I want us to catch and what I've had to kind of capitalize on over the last few weeks. Is the battle that was fought and won at the cross for me meant that Shalom has been declared over me. You and I know we talked to talked at the beginning of this hour about about um, the ending or kind of the ceremonial ending of of the Civil War in the United States when the United States were not united, and how uh, General Grant said, "Wait a minute, we got a lot of work to do yet before peace is declared." Can I tell you what? All the work that you need for peace in your life has already been done. Peace over your soul, shalom over your soul has already been declared when Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. There is no longer a barrier between you and God. And therefore, anytime you need Him, He wants you to call out to Him. And He promises can I give you this? He promises despite the funky circumstances of your life, despite the craziness that you and I have to go through as a part of living in a fallen world, despite all of that, He has promised you, and I defy you to to, make, uh, to, to, to test me on this. He has promised you to bring you peace in that moment, a lasting peace and a lasting hope It is He who says in Philippians 4 that He will give you the peace that transcends understanding. The peace that passes all understanding. You know what I understand from that? Is that there are times in my life when the circumstances just don't make sense and they're not going to. This side of heaven, they're never going to quite make sense to me. Why did that happen? Why do I continue to live with this veil right here? And God has promised you that He is going to, even when the circumstances don't add up, and can I tell you, there are some times when I've just got to struggle with these things for a while. He's going to promise you peace anyway. The peace that transcends, that passes, that goes beyond understanding when i can't get it when i don't have understanding i can have peace anyway i don't know about you but that's a pretty wonderful promise to me in a moment where understanding is fleeting when i'm not going to quite get it and i may not get it this side of heaven i may not quite understand it this side of heaven And I can look in some of your faces and I know as you nod your head, you're saying, yeah, I know. I I really can't understand that. I don't get it. And I don't think I'm ever going to get it. Here's what I want to promise you. Here's what God promises you. He promises you peace that goes beyond that moment of uncertainty. That, I believe, my friends, is the kind of hope that I can live in for now. Remember that? now but not yet moment, I can live in that hope because I know that He's going to settle on me with shalom in this moment, tomorrow, next year until He comes again. And you heard Isaiah say it today. The runner has pretty feet because the news is so Very good. The king is coming. We're going to talk about him and worship him next week in Hebrews 1. God bless you.